You're listening to the Candid Confidence Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Pardee. I'm a spiritual life and business mentor, helping you create a life of freedom and purpose. On this podcast, we chat all things mindset, spirituality, and entrepreneurship. My job is to teach you how to believe in yourself, connect to yourself spiritually, and go after your big dreams. Girl, let's do the damn thing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Canon Confidence Podcast. I'm feeling so blessed and honored today to be interviewing a very special author that I recently discovered. So many of you have heard this story already on my Instagram story, but about two weeks ago, I went on Amazon to find a book about marriage. And I came across uh, Stephen Stosny's book, How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It. And it caught my attention. Like many of you, I have a husband who doesn't love talking about our relationship. Big shocker, right? So to be honest, the book came in the mail and I had a lot of resistance about reading a marriage book. It's, I'm, I'm usually reading personal development books about like helping my, like my life and my spiritual connection and my own mindset, or I'm reading books about business or things like that. And I was kind of annoyed. I felt like, you know, my husband's not going to read a marriage book. So like, why should I be the one putting in effort? But it turns out this book <laughs> was so perfect and so aligned. Um, but I, you know, pushed through, through the resistance and, and decided to read it anyways, because I want to grow my marriage. I want to grow that relationship. And, and I know that I have to put in my, um, my effort to do that. So by the time I was finished with chapter one, my mind was blown. Like this book is completely changed the game for me. Um, because it's all about the psychological differences between men and women, particularly when it comes to fear and shame, which I'm sure we'll dive into in this interview. So I have a new perspective now of how my husband feels and how I do things that trigger him and how there's a lot of ways I can work on my marriage from my end first. So anyway, so then on Sunday, I reached out to Steven and I'm like, I hope he'll say yes to coming on the podcast. And here he is. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear his insight into the male brain. And you're going to walk away with some tips that are going to improve your marriage um, or your relationship. And also this book was written, you know, a, ma- a man can also read this book. It's, it gives both perspectives. So Stephen Stosny, PhD, is the founder of Compassion Power. He is the author of many books and articles and appeared on all the major networks and national radio shows and most of the major newspapers and magazines. He has taught at the University of Maryland and his blog on psychologytoday.com has over 20 million views. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, super excited to dive right in. So I want to talk about, you know, this book in particular. Um, And obviously many women feel like talking about their relationship is the way to create change or to, to build connection and become closer, but that doesn't seem to work so well for men. So can you kind of explain why that is and what led you to write this book about this specific subject? Well, I wrote the book with a woman psychologist, Pat Love, who is also my best friend. uh, And she provides a lot of the female perspective, a a lot more worried. Uh, I had an office in Washington, D.C. then in a great neighborhood near the National Cathedral where, you know, the presidents have their funerals. Uh, And I would see my last client at eight or nine at night and go down into a garage in the basement 
did that for over 10 years and never thought twice about it. But on that estrogen shot, every little shadow on the wall, somebody opened their car door, I would walk fast to mine. There was just this pit in my stomach being alone in that dark garage. And I said, my God, this is what it's like for women all the time. Wow. So it was a lot more anxious, you know, and the empirical evidence, estrogen sensitizes you to fear. And that probably evolved because the females are the alarm systems of social groups. They have better hearing and better sense of smell. So they transmit fear throughout the group. And that prompts the males to become more aggressive to protect the group. So your uh, female body is really wired from head to toe for fear. Most emotional energy of females is trying to avoid fear. And the best way to do that is to form alliances. And that's really what you're trying to do when you're talking about the relationship. So you don't feel isolated. Unfortunately, the male anatomy evolved to protect social groups. That's bigger muscle mass, more electrical activity in the muscles, uh, greater arousal with emotions. Uh, so it's physically uncomfortable for men to sit and talk about emotions like women liked it. You could do that 24 seven, right? <laughs> Where yeah. It's going to be fidgeting all over the seat because he wants to get up and do something when he's feeling something. And then the talks, the relationship talks usually tend to be about how he's failing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what, what can he, uh, how he's failing to meet your needs, how he's failing to, and I should say that it's not your fault that that happens. We actually socialize females to get connection by complaining something's wrong. If you think of a three-year-old little girl feeling bad about herself, crying, covering up her face, can't even look at you, she feels so bad, your every instinct is to hug her, to uh, get attachment by exposing vulnerability, saying something is wrong. Uh, and we socialize males to get attachment by hiding vulnerability. Nothing is wrong. <laughs> So when you uh, say to your husband that something is wrong and that's your natural, that's what you've been socialized to do, he's seeing that as an indictment that he's failing and nobody likes to hear that they're failing. Mm -hmm. Also, women get oxytocin from talking about emotions. Uh, that's a hormone that make, calms anxiety and makes you feel more trusting. That's why you can look in your girlfriend's eyes and talk about feelings for hours <laughs> and feel close and connected to her. You don't even remember the content of what you talked about. It was just the feeling of the connection. But men don't get oxytocin from it, so it's physically uncomfortable for them. Oh, that is so interesting. And, and that part alone really like shifted things for me because you know, I always had the, the thought of, oh, well, he doesn't want to like sit and look me in the eyes and talk about how much he loves me. So like something is wrong with him or like with our marriage or whatever. So um, I find that so interesting. If you could like sum up um, one or a few things, what do you, what do you think that men wish women understood about them? 
Uh, well, I, I don't know if men can articulate it, but attachment is more proximity-based for a male, and it's more interactive for females. And that's not just human. If you observe, uh, as I did, a lot of research tapes of social animals, the females are interacting. They're looking in each other's eyes. They're licking each other, rubbing up against each other. The primates eat each, eat each other's lice. And the males are kind of on the periphery of the group. They're on the outside, forming a protective perimeter, not interacting at all or playing with each other, but not the kind of interaction the females are having. If you had a boy and a girl toddler, you could probably see the difference. The boy was getting into things. You had to kind of find him, keep your eye on him so he doesn't tear down the house. But the girl's usually in your face, showing you things, asking you questions, wanting you to perceive her, wanting you to see her and hear her. Uh, and it's estrogen that drives her to do that. The, the great vulnerability of, of uh, higher estrogen, even a higher estrogen male, is fear of isolation. So she wants to feel connected, just more interactive. So your the bottom line is your husband can feel close to you if you're in one room and he's in another. He doesn't have to interact with you. My uh, co-author, Pat Love, said she could go into Walmart with her husband and he'd be in the tires, she'd be in the clothes, and he'd feel connected because they're under the same roof, <laughs> even wow. though she can't see him. Yeah. So how can we use that knowledge to to be to be a wife who is or a girlfriend or whatever who's um, trying to connect more? Like, do we just like respect that the guy feels connection just by being near us, or how do we handle our our side of things where we want that like in your face connection and like mm -hmm. physical touch and all of that? Well, I think you have to connect before you talk. Talking is mm -hmm. not going to connect you, especially if you're going to talk about problems. Uh, and actually, you don't want talking, solving problems to connect you because that in itself weakens the attachment. Because what you're saying is, I can't love you unless you agree with me. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that in itself weakens the trust and the interest and the attachment. So focus on connecting before you talk. And you, usually the best way to do that is touch. Most males have about 50% less touch than females. So males tend to be touch deprived. See, mental focus creates an artificial importance. In other words, whatever you focus on becomes more important than what you're not focused on. So when you focus on a problem, that seems like the most important thing in your relationship. Uh, testosterone makes us competitive and with competition goes dread of failure. You don't want to lose. So when you're talking about a problem, he's hearing that he's a bad husband. He's hearing that the way he loves isn't good enough. Uh, and you don't want that. What you want to do is focus on what you really do want was this connection. So tell him when he does it right. Or when you uh, told me about that problem at work, or I felt really connected. Men like to be successful, so point out how they can be successful husbands, but they don't like to feel like failures. So if you point out how they're failing, they're either going to withdraw or, or get angry. Yeah, that's so, so helpful. It kind of leads me into a passage I wanted to read um, from the book that really made me say, okay, I'm called out. Here's the way that I've been, you know, hindering the growth of, of my marriage. Um, so you wrote, excluding your partner's perspective and insisting on your own, no matter how you put it, implies that being right is more important to you than how your partner feels. 
and more important than the well-being of your relationship. And that's kind of how we, we interact in not only in relationships and, and romantic relationships, but we have a very strong, like, I'm right. These people just need to believe what I believe. Mm-hmm. How can we let go of our need to be right in our marriages to strengthen that bond? Well, it, for one thing, being right is an emotional state, not an intellectual one. To feel that you're right, you have to limit the amount of information you process. And the more right you feel, the more you've, you've eliminated. So the more you feel right, you're, the more likely you are that you're wrong. So forget about being right. You didn't get married to feel right. You got married to feel connected, to feel valued and to value. So that's what's more important than being right. You know, when you had were falling in love, did you have fantasies of always being right <laughs> or of being valued and, and valuing? Mm-hmm. They're not about being right. Being right is more of an ego thing than a, a an emotional state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so in this past year with COVID um, and not only COVID, but just there's so many hot button political issues that are just in your face 24 seven with a lot of division. One side feels this way and, and they hate the other side and all this craziness, especially here, here in the US. Um, and for in my, in my particular situation, my husband and I grew up in very different cultures, being taught very different things. And I, I talked to a lot of other couples who deal with this, who just really don't see eye to eye on a lot of hot button topics. Um, and, and that makes it really difficult because we do, we do obviously have that, that ego need to be right and all of that. How, how do you feel like we can work through um, make major differences like that? Uh, again, you have to connect before you talk about the differences. The attitude of a healthy relationship is I'm going to love you whether you agree with me or not. Now, this is why I would like you to agree with me, but love isn't on the table. You know, our connection isn't on the table. That's more important than our opinion. Uh, that's the way it has to be. But when, another way to put that is connection is an attitude. You have an attitude of connection, an attitude of disconnection. Uh, if your attitude of is of connection, you can tolerate disagreement. But if your attitude is disconnection, then you've got to prove that your partner is worthy of connecting with you. And that in itself is going to put pressure in the relationship. So it's always got to be, I'm going to love you whether you agree with me or not. That's true in my relationship. My wife's a lot more politically conservative than I am. Fall in love with her because of her political views. <laughs> right. I didn't even know what they were. <laughs> she didn't know what mine were. And when you're falling in love, politics isn't a factor at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neither is the way you were brought up. See, that becomes an issue after you're living together. When you were falling in love with your husband, you didn't think about all these cultural differences. Mm-hmm. The secret of a modern love relationship is appreciate as many differences as you can and tolerate the ones you can't appreciate because you are not going to be able to make your partner into you. There's no me harmony. You are actually attracted to the differences. But after you're living together, most of your arguments are, why aren't you more like me? Mm-hmm. You should be more like, you should see the world the way I do and think the way I do. And the irony of that is you wouldn't have been attracted to them if they were more like you. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So we have to appreciate the differences. 
my wife's a different culture too, different race. She's Chinese. Uh, and she sees the world differently from the way I do. And I have to appreciate those differences. There's a lot of advantages to it. She brings things that, you know, were not in my experience, but there's some disadvantages, but those aren't as important as the advantages. Well, you know, another difference in uh, the female and male brain is women can actually get oxytocin from conflict. <laughs> you know, that's Coffee. how you, yeah, well, even arguing, get a certain amount of oxytocin. Because remember, the greatest fear is isolation. So connection in conflict is better than isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something else I found really fascinating in the book is the discussion on what you call binocular vision. And can you explain to us how we tend to only see our side of the story and how we can shift into being able to see both perspectives? Well, you're not going to do it automatically because our brain isn't that good at perspective taking. And it's not that good at objectively analyzing your own behavior. The exception to that is if connection has been harmful to women, if they've been hurt through the connection, you know. And that's usually abused women. Uh, it didn't evolve to do that. For instance, in an argument with your, your husband, you'll remember the worst thing that he said, but you won't remember what you said right before that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't remember what he's reacting to because our brains evolved to record injury we suffer, not injury we inflict. Wow. So uh, you've got to bring that argument into your prefrontal cortex. That's the part of the brain that can objectively analyze your own behavior, but it it won't do it automatically. You have to make a will to do it. You have to say, I feel this way. What is my partner feeling? Binocular vision is the ability to see both perspectives simultaneously, like binoculars. So even if your perspective is completely right, it's never completely right, but even if it is, it's incomplete because the reality of the interaction is both perspectives, not just one. So don't make a judgment until you can see your partner's perspective. If you don't see your partner's perspective, you're going to assume the worst about it. You're going to assume the worst intentions. And then your partner will get defensive because of that assumption. But with fear and shame, it's easy. If you're feeling anxious, he's trying to avoid feeling like a failure. And if he's trying to avoid feeling like a failure, he knows you're feeling really anxious or afraid. So you have this backdoor way of understanding your partner's perspective. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I really, I also really liked in that section, the exercise you gave where we wrote out negative characteristics of our partners and then positive ones we'd like them to display more of. And then we were to write down how we portray those same negative um, characteristics in the relationship. And I was, you know, I did that exercise this morning, actually. And I was like, okay, yeah, I have some, I have some inner work to do here. So can you speak to this and how, when we show up differently, um, the relationship changes without us even having to like really explain to the other person? Well, it's because what you don't get through self-reflection or from even individual psychotherapy, you don't get the dynamics of the relationship. See, whatever you're feeling inside changes when you interact with someone. Uh, You're not, it's even a misnomer to say you're expressing how you feel because when you express how you feel, you amplify and magnify it. You're changing how you felt before you expressed it. It's like the observer effect in physics. You can't 
just observing a phenomenon changes it. So you can't really measure it. If you measure where it is, you don't know how fast it's moving. If you measure how fast it's moving, you don't know where it is. <laughs> That's the uh, observer effect in, in physics. And it's the same thing with emotions. When you express it, you're changing it. So um, you have to pay more attention to the dynamic. What is my partner reacting to? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your partner can seem like he's coming from outer space. <laughs> you know, tenant professional. I've had professional tennis players as clients. They will watch hours of videotapes of themselves playing, not the what the, what their opponent's doing, what they're doing. Because when they're in the match, they're so focused on what their part their opponent's doing, they're not seeing how. They're they're not as in tune to what they're doing, and that's because our brain isn't focused on self-reflection. So pay attention to the dynamic. What is my partner reacting to? I'm probably come, if your partner's defensive, you're probably coming off as accusative and you don't really want to do that. You want your, you want your partner to understand you. He's not going to understand you if you're accusing him. Mm-hmm. But you know, again, the bottom line is focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. Whatever you focus on, you'll get more of. Yeah, it's true in every in every part of life and most certainly in, in relationships. Mm-hmm. This episode is sponsored by Podcorn. I know so many of you are entrepreneurs and have your own podcasts, and I'm always getting asked about monetizing. I've been personally using Podcorn for about a year to find podcast sponsorships that line up with my brand message. It's super easy to use, and there are so many different options available. So if you have a podcast, you're going to find sponsorship opportunities that make sense for your listeners. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there's no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. The Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when we monetize. Click the link in my show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities right away. Okay, so (laughs) I have a sex question now. (laughs) So um, my husband and I have been together for uh, nine years, living together for about six now. And he's, he's not the type to like be horny all the time and like wanting sex all the time. But whenever we're like canoodling or we go upstairs to the bedroom or whatever, he, he does like instantly have a boner. Like he's just ready to go. And for me, like, I'm just like, not instantly horny like that. Um, how can I, like, how can we explain this to men without making them feel that shame and that triggering that in them that they feel like it's their fault? You know what I mean? Okay. There's, there's several factors that contribute to that. One is you have a lot more sources of oxytocin than he does. Uh, women can get oxytocin from eye contact, from any kind of talk, but especially talk about emotions. They can get it from touching your hair. Uh, oxytocin calms anxiety and makes you feel close and connected. It's that warm, fuzzy feeling comes from it. That's why when women are nervous, they're always going like this with their hair. Mm. It's it's your hair looks fine. <laughs> it's not because you're you're shaping your hair. It's because you're getting the oxytocin that calms you down. You never see men doing that because they don't get oxytocin from it. <laughs> uh, women get ox. Of course, the biggest dose is from breastfeeding, and they get it from from uh, 
just about any kind of touch. Men only have three sources of oxytocin, orgasm, a full body embrace, not just a hug, but where all parts of your body are touching and holding a baby. Doesn't have to be his baby so you can rent one. <laughs> so his, uh, almost his only source of oxytocin is through orgasm where you have a lot of sources of it. So you don't rely on orgasm to get the oxytocin, having to get an erection. So be flattered that you have that kind of sexual power. And he has to understand that, that you know, you've heard the expression foreplay begins at breakfast. <laughs> uh, men tend not to be as emotionally attentive because men can usually just focus on one thing at a time. So if he's focused on something, he's not focusing on you. Uh, but women become more sexual when they're attended to, when attention makes you more sexually inclined. So he has to pay more attention to you during the day, not just wait till nighttime. Mm -hmm. So all of those things kind of contribute to it. You know, for these differences in, in testosterone and estrogen, for them to really uh, work in a successful relationship, you both have to come out of your comfort zone a little bit and you meet in the middle. In other words, and you have to accept less than you would ordinarily be comfortable with. You know, talk more to your girlfriends. All over the world, in every culture that's been studied, the health, physically healthiest and happiest women have a strong network of girlfriends. And girlfriends are the ones they get the emotional support from. It's really not men. Hmm. And an interesting book by Stephanie Coons called The History of Marriage. Uh, she, she's a historian, not a psychologist. And she points out that women of a couple of generations ago would be appalled to think that you would share emotional information with your husband because <laughs> he, he couldn't get it. He wouldn't understand it. He'd be the last person you would oh. tell something emotional to. And there wasn't even that much cross-gender talk like a hundred years ago. The women would retire to one room after dinner and the men would retire to another room. They wouldn't talk. They talk same sex, not so now we expect our partners to be emotional confidants. And that's very recent in human history. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, it, it is an interesting uh, book. But with that goes, you know, the breakdown in uh, uh, the extended family. See, the nuclear family, that's uh, two parents and children living alone together. That's pretty recent. It's only about 80 years old. In the attic, Uncle Fred was in the basement. Aunt Sally was in the guest room. Uh, if they weren't in the same house, they were next door across the street. So you had an extended family. So the women would talk to their aunts, their sisters, their cousins, uh, and their friends. And the men would have their uncles and brothers. So that they had more support. There wasn't as much pressure as there is on the nuclear family to provide emotional support as well as physical support. That's crazy. So we have to invent modern uh, love relationships. The first step of that is to admit that you don't know what the hell you're doing to make a modern intimate relationship work. <laughs> it's gonna be a little different in each relationship. And the most loving thing you can say to your partner is teach me how to love you because mm -hmm. all the cultural models have broken down. Uh, biology hasn't prepared you. 
nature has an investment in getting you together to reproduce, but not in keeping you together. Through most of human history, we were tribal and uh, the tribe would raise the children. There wasn't a strong parental investment in children. So the oxytocin and vasopressin that forms emotional bonds only last three to nine months. And then you're on your own. <laughs> That's why after three to nine months, you say, who the hell is this person? <laughs> <laughs> He's changed or she said, no, they haven't. It's just the, the hormones have changed. <laughs> wow. The person's the same, but you can, you have a powerful prefrontal cortex, which early humans didn't, you can invent how to love each other, but you've got to do that on, it won't happen on autopilot. You have to do it intentionally. Yeah. And one area where um, obviously a lot of people have disagreements is, is with money and with having different backgrounds with money, different ways that you feel money should be spent. Obviously two people are not going to agree all the time on where and how money should be spent and what things are worth spending money on. Do you have any best practices for navigating those conversations? Well, again, you've got to be sensitive to the primary vulnerability of your partner. Uh, For males, it's provider anxiety because the, the, Males exist in social groups to protect the pack. So uh, if if a male uh, doesn't feel he can provide as well as he would like to for his family, he's always going to be worried about that. For a woman, it's fear of, well, in order, harm, isolation, and deprivation. Deprivation means you don't have the thing. You can't build a nest. The females are nest builders. See, when a woman designs a house, it's very personal. You know, she picks out drapes. It's personal. For a man, he's going to ask how much did they cost. And that's the the provider anxiety bumping up against the fear of deprivation. Then the woman gets hurt because she's feeling personally rejected because he's worrying about how much it costs. So he has to be sensitive of her personal investment. You can get a a good sense of what a woman's like just by walking through her house and seeing how she's designed it, how how she's built her nest. You won't get that by walking through a man's house. (laughs) (laughs) You won't get anything about him from from that. Um, so he has to be sensitive to the, you know, the primary thing. One of the Oprah shows I did, we, we had a couple where I, I, the format of the show is I was working with this couple on fear and shame. And then she was showing bits of it. And I asked her to say what she, what makes her angry about uh, what her husband does. And she said, well, when I get my hair cut, the first thing you ask is how much did it cost? And she was really angry. Now I had worked with the man before and I said, well, you know, why is she angry at that? And now he understands it's because when I ask how much it costs, she feels like she's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And that didn't occur to the woman, but she just burst into tears because that is really why she was angry. It felt like she wasn't worth it. Now she was getting her hair cut to look good for him. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he's worried about how it costs. Uh, and it was very emotional. Even Oprah was crying on the show. <laughs> Everybody had tears in her eyes because that was the issue. It mm-hmm. meant something very different to them. To him, it was about provider anxiety. To her, it was about how worthy she is. But he never meant that. He never meant it to mean she's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's the disconnect about money. It's fear of deprivation bumping up against provider anxiety. 
Wow. And if you understand that, it's much easier. Then it just becomes numbers, how much money comes in, how much has to go out. It's not about your value as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then if you can have the conversation with the perspective of, okay, how might my partner be feeling? How would this trigger? We might be triggering them. You can approach it in a different way. Yeah. The, the way I usually work with, with money disputes is see what men really fear is hemorrhaging. It's not what you spent on this. It's where it could go. Mm. <laughs> so what usually happens is men relinquish line item veto <laughs> and just have a certain limit that you can't pass. And almost, in fact, every woman I've ever worked with easily stays within that limit. Where the conflict comes is, is having to justify everything she spends. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so he can't dispute any one thing as long as it stays within that limit. And that usually works for both. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The irony is women usually are not spendthrifts. They uh, do stay within budgets most of the time. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's usually men who violate budgets because they get big ticket items. Yeah. <laughs> I want to buy a sports car. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't have those earrings, but I'm going to buy a sports car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I could talk to you all day. Like, this is so um, just, just so eye opening and so fascinating. I guess if you had. Um, one one last kind of message that you'd want to share with with um, the women listening and and the men listening, you know, who, many of whom are maybe not married yet or maybe are newly married in the last couple of years. What would would your best advice be to to build a long lasting beautiful marriage? Pay more attention to your the, the love you have for your partner. That's what makes you a better person. The relationship with your partner nurtures you. Nurtures you. It's like a fruit orchard. If you tend to it, it'll feed you. And pay more attention to investing in your relationship rather than just doing something for your partner. Because when you just do something for your partner, you get into scorekeeping. You know, I did this for you, so what are you going to do for me? And that in itself breeds resentment. But do something for your relationship. My Example of that is I don't like ballet, but my relationship likes ballet. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to the ballet because it's good for my relationship. And once I we get dressed up to go to it, it's in a nice place, the Kennedy Center in Washington. We have a nice dinner before it. And it's very pleasant after it because we're, we're both in a good mood. It's just that two and a half hours in the middle. It's a little boring. <laughs> See, once you have the mindset of what you're going to benefit from the relationship, you don't mind investing in it. Like you don't mind tending the orchard because it's going to feed you. Yeah, that's amazing advice. Um, I, I think that that perspective shift is huge. Like going from the scorekeeping mentality to just doing it because it's for the best for the relationship. That's amazing. Also, from just a reflective, because I can tell by some of your questions that you're very much into self-reflection, which is generally good, but you want to see how you can, uh, don't focus on how to feel loved, focus on how to feel loving. Mm. You, you will only feel loved if you're compassionate and kind. 
Otherwise, it doesn't even feel good to feel love because you'll feel like you're getting something you don't deserve or you won't feel like you can return it. So focus on feeling loving rather than feeling loved. Oh, that's so beautiful. And if you feel loving, you're more greatly raises the odds that you will feel loved. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I so appreciate your time. I'm going to go ahead and link the book in the show notes. Everybody needs to buy this book. It's, it is so good. Um, I'd love how you, you know, dive into the psychology, you dive into how even animals interact with the, with, you know, each other based on gender and with infants, like there's just so much um, background that you give in, in all of this. It's amazing. So where can we find you and support you? Do you have like an Instagram? What's, where can we follow uh, the web? You? website is compassionpower.com there's also a lot of free material on there now my specialty is chronic resentment anger or emotional abuse uh the the reason i got interested in the fear shame dynamic is because that causes so much resentment if you don't understand it and it can if it, the res, if the resentment becomes chronic it almost always leads to emotional abuse that's how i got interested in it hopefully you're not in that state yet but if you are there's a lot of information on chronic resentment anger and emotional abuse. i will link that in the show notes along with a link to order the book and thank you so much for being with me here today steven Thanks everybody for listening. If this episode impacted you, if it inspired you um, to improve things in your marriage without talking about it, or if you took anything interesting away, go ahead and take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story, tag us in it. Um, I'm at candid.conference on Instagram. And I would so, so appreciate you guys uh, for the rest of eternity. If you would take a few seconds to uh, drop a rating for this podcast, as well as a review. And thank you so much. I will see all of you beautiful souls next week.